As we launch into the new year, I'd like to welcome back for a third time, Peter Kelly Detweiler. Listen as we take a broad view of what happened in the energy sector in 2020 and what to look forward to in 2021. By the way, if his name sounds familiar, it's because he was a guest on episode 16 and 41. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome back Peter Kelly Detweiler to the show. Peter, how are you doing today? Quite well, thank you. Uh, I'm sitting here outside of Boston watching the tail end of a blizzard with a certain level of delight. (laughs) A little bit of cooling, huh? It's great to get snow before Christmas. Maybe we'll get a white Christmas this year. We almost never do. My kids would be envious. They, they they saw frost on the grass this morning here in Dallas, and they were like, oh, no, it's no, like, no, not quite, but okay. So, Peter, welcome back to the show again. You know, one of the reasons I like having you back is just because the depth of research and information you bring to the conversation. You, you've often said you study, research, read four hours a day, various newsletters and uh, different, um, I guess, sources of information. But that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time you spend researching, and I'm going to say broadly the energy industry. And so, what I would like to do with this conversation specifically is kind of go over what you feel 2020. You know, from a pivotal year. You know, we've got COVID, pandemic, elections, and then perhaps some of the opportunities you see going forward. So let's start with 2020. What are some of the big, perhaps structural changes you saw happen in 2020 in the energy sector? Sure. Well, thank you again for uh, having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, I think you have to start with COVID, right? We were we were looking at 2020 as being a year where we expected a lot of progress in the renewable space and then came slamming square into that COVID phenomenon that sort of wrecked everybody's expectations, but only for a while. The thing that was so astonishing to me, Raj, was that the solar industry, for example, picked itself up especially residential solar, but utility scale as well, develop tools around um, virtual sales, for example, so that so actually the pipelines were fuller because people weren't driving around meeting folks. They actually were able to call people and catch them at home. So pipelines actually swelled bigger than they were before for some of the larger players. And some of the companies like Sunrun said, oh, we were planning on digital investments for 21, 22, and we advanced those to 2020 out of sheer survival. So in fact, Sunrun did something this year which blew my mind. So residential installer, largest in the country, they sold a deal in the morning, digitally permitted it by, say, midday, and had the panels on the rooftop that night just to prove they could do it, right? Amazing. Yeah. So now, you know, end of the year, I, I um, was listening to Philip Roth, uh, Philip Shen from Roth Capital this morning and, and um, you know, the solar wake-up um, crew as well. And they were talking about... Right now, uh, batteries are also coming into the residential solar space. And in fact, they expect like 30% year-on-year growth coming into the first quarters in uh, 2021. The biggest challenge with storage right now, where the attach rates in California, for example, are as high as 50 or 60% in some of those markets. If you're selling solar, you're attaching storage, you know, 50 or 60% of your sales. They said they can't get the inventory. The batteries simply aren't out there right now. So that was kind of an interesting and positive surprise. And then, you know, wind, the turbines now onshore, 
Vestas, GE have announced six megawatt platforms offshore. Now, you know, GE's Halyard was supposed to be the cat's pajamas and then Siemens Gamesa with its 107 meter blade. Then Siemens Gamesa comes in and says, no, we got a 14 megawatt machine extensible to 15 with 108 meter blade. So the tech keeps on moving. Then with batteries, if you have a chance, go and check out the YouTube of Tesla's manifesto of battery day. It's absolutely astonishing what they have planned to drive down the cost of batteries. And it's emblematic for what's going on across the whole industry. So 2020, despite, for example, you know, federal policy, which I've found discouraging for the last four years, but not, let's not get into that in a big way, state policy pushed really hard. Um, local, well, national governments, here's China saying zero carbon by 2060. Japan, I think their number was 2050. UK and Boris Johnson saying, we're going to take internal combustion engine ban and advance it from 2035 to 2030. Right. So all across the landscape, both politically and technologically and with steel in the ground projects, there was tremendous progress made. I saw something from IHS Markets, you know, the research firm that by mm-hmm. 2025, they expect cumulative investments in renewables to top one point three trillion dollars. So you can see that the, the clouds are not only gathering here, it's already starting to precipitate good news. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the slowdown and then the pickup. We as a company, Nexus PMG, we did see a a pause, if you will, March 15th weekend when the the shutdown started to happen through the end of April. So about six weeks there. And from what I understand, there was a lot of evaluation going on, primarily about safety, employee safety at some of the plants we work on, some of the projects we work on. And then, you know, what are going to, what, some of the workarounds were going to be from a travel perspective, you know, people driving out to the plant. And we actually implemented um, 3D walkthroughs of some of the projects we work on. Uh, you know, our, some of our leadership, we, we uh, bought the Oculus VR and we started implementing not only ramping up our drone technology, but our 3D mapping and, you know, how we were walking through the projects and how we were able to convey information back to some of our clients and, you know, our funds that we work with. Yeah, that forcing function created advancement of a lot of tools. You know, even your business definitely, you know, hit that stutter step. I was dead in the water. I mean, I, I make my living going out and speaking to folks, right? Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden, my schedule, my calendar was just a wreck with flotsam and jetsam of failed, um, canceled engagements all over the place. And I was thinking to myself, okay, you know, what are we not going to eat? What, what I told my family, okay, cancel the vacations. We're not going anywhere anyway, right? We have to reevaluate where this is all headed. And then within two months, people started calling me and saying, hey, you know that keynote you were going to give in July? Can you do it virtually? And if so, what's the cost? I'm like, I'll give it to you at 50% because I don't have to spend a day on the plane, right? Mm-hmm. And so I turned out that for the second half of the year, I was actually busier than I've ever been because I put like online courses and strategic trainings and all these things would take me time going places. We just started to do virtually. And there was one training was going to do with a utility that it had taken us six months to try and line up the the training facility because it was for 85 people and they couldn't find the space. COVID comes along and within two months, the problem is solved because everybody just, you know, to Aretha Franklin's who's zooming who that became the question for 2020. So let's talk about training for a minute. You know, I had the pleasure of taking your class back in early November 
on storage, which I really enjoyed, you know, four sorry, four hours, 175 pages in that deck, just the, the volume of information. Can you speak to some of the classes that you do teach and, you know, perhaps from an audience perspective, you know, who would be best suited for the classes? Sure. So I teach four hours. That that actually, that four-hour session, um, I do another one like that on the evolution of the grid. I like three or four-hour slugs because um, there's a lot out there. And to get someone up to speed, you have to spend a little bit of time. An hour, hour and a half is not enough. So I'm actually working on right now, I've, I've done the evolution of the power grid class and offered that. I offered a nine-hour, three-part section uh, on distributed energy resources for our smart energy or smart electric power alliance. Then I did the, the battery one you were talking about. This year, what I want to do is a course on offshore wind, onshore wind, hydrogen. That's the next big one I'm working on. That's going to be like a four-hour slug right there. And then probably something around electric vehicles and chargers and that infrastructure. Um, my goal is to be able to provide contextual background not that someone walks away as an expert, but that they can hold a conversation about any one of those sectors and confidently know they're going to ask the right questions. And if they hear something or see a headline, they can contextualize it. My dream assignment this year would be to have some large company say, Pete, we want you to do all of the electricity 101 so that all the new employees as part of their welcome package we understand they go through your course and by the end they have a common referential framework. What kills me about this space, Raj, is there's what, a half a million of us toiling in the vineyards and we're so busy picking the grapes, grapes upon our particular row, we never look at what's happening with the wine, right? Like the whole thing moving forward. And when people say, well, why did you write your book or why do you do the courses? And I said, they're all for who I was 10 years ago when I was an SVP at Constellation and purportedly an expert in demand response, but I didn't know anything about solar efficiency, wind, batteries, etc. And so my curiosity and my frustration at not being able to find something that glued that all together and gave me a way to quickly learn that, I figured, well, I'm going to do this because it's needed out there. And in this multi-trillion dollar transformation, it frustrates me how few storytellers and educators we have in the space. And I just figured oh, I might as well jump into the gap. I love reading this stuff. To me, it's much more interesting about new battery chemistry than what Kim Kardashian just wore yesterday, right? That's why I, this morning I was up at 4.30 reading because the blizzard was howling and I couldn't sleep. And immediately I'm jumping into some of these reports and so on. I just want to take that information, distill it, and make it accessible to other people who don't have the time because everybody else has a day job. So- Staying on the subject of reading, you know, you mentioned you've been up since 4.30 this morning, you know, from other conversations, I know you read about four hours a day, you've taken all this information. Can you perhaps point the audience to some of the more reliable sources that you read? And so if someone is interested, they can also subscribe or perhaps, you know, pay the subscription fee, whatever it looks like to get better informed. Yeah, sure. I don't pay for anything that I read. Uh, well, with the exception of Bloomberg, because um, Bloomberg's just got great, again, contextual stuff. The first thing that comes across my transom um, comes across at two or three in the morning. And I usually don't read it until six or six thirty, but it's called Electrive. And it's all the electric vehicle news, mostly out of Japan and Europe. And of course, then it dovetails nicely what's happening with batteries. Then I get Solar Wake Up, which is just a fantastic compendium that, you know, comes together with like the five or six stories 
every every day, right? So solar wake up is a must. So solar wake up, then what else comes in? There's um, green tech media that comes in every day. Utility dive, those two are essential. Utility dive for like policy and what utilities are doing in the space. Green tech media for policy and technology. Then I also get a lot from Seeking Alpha, the investor newsletters that you know track everything that's happening with the companies like Tesla and others that I think are interesting in the space. Um, and then there's just a whole host of, I, I subscribe and get the weekly or the dailies from GuidePoint, from IHS Market, you know, from a whole bunch of those other ones. What I'm going to do shortly, I just haven't yet had the time, but I will over holiday break, is put my reading list on my website. And what I have is a list of every um, thing that I read a descriptor of what it is, a rating for one to three, and then the URL. And I just haven't put it online yet. Well, this is going to air the first week of the new year. So you'll have time to do your homework and then send me a link and I'll put it in the show notes because I think that you know some of the publications you mentioned are a great entry point for individuals that are perhaps concerned, considering, or even looking for opportunities. Yes, without without question. And and, and anyone who is, is looking for opportunities, the first thing you want to do is educate yourself in the sector, be able to speak the language, understand the trends. And so the, the daily perusal of those newsletters is a really good way to get up to speed relatively quickly. So earlier in the conversation, you mentioned about, you know, 10 years ago, but let's rewind the clock a little bit further since we're on the topic of opportunities. Let's say you're, I don't know, a junior, senior in college, 20, 22 years old, and you're interested in the broader clean tech, green tech sectors, what kind of advice would you give to yourself? You know, it's funny you ask that question because, oh, probably around six o'clock this morning, I was on a LinkedIn conversation with somebody who was listening to something I moderated yesterday. And he's just getting out of school. And he said, you know, um, I'd, I'd love to sort of pick your brain. I said, all right, first of all, make sure you do not miss getting into the electricity space because it's the coolest thing since sliced bread. The electron touches everybody in so many different ways. And what I've been advising young professionals and even some people who are switching careers is do the matrix, like do the homework for yourself. And that's not just, you know, how much money do I want to make and where I want to live? But essentially what I advise people is put together the matrix for what's important to you in terms of quality of life, and then what's important to you in terms of a job? So culture, leadership position, ability to learn, ability to make impact in the space, change the world, and so on and so forth, right? And then try and weight those things. It's helpful when you put something like that together to have a significant other or a family member or a mentor or someone you can bounce the ideas off of so it's not just one hand clapping. But I think that deliberate self-examination, actually walking down those neural pathways, if you will, and the emotional ones and thinking about why you want to do what you want to do prepares you so well for the interviews to discern which companies you think are going to be ones you want to work for. Because you can think about, you know, do I want stability? Okay, then maybe I go with an established company. Do I want something where I'm going to have to learn more things more quickly? Well, maybe then it's a startup in a certain space. Understanding yourself is critical. And I didn't, frankly. You know, I, I went sort of bass backwards through a whole lot of my life, and it's worked out really, really well for me. But sometimes I think if I had taken a more intentional approach to my professional development, I could have had perhaps more of an impact that I have. I mean, I've been really lucky, so there's no complaint here. But if I would go through life again, it might perhaps have been a little bit more intentional, and I would have started with the matrix. 
I appreciate that. And, you know, back to the topic of professional development for a moment, you know, you mentioned all the classes that you teach. Are you, or do you have a platform or like, I'm going to use the example of like a Udacity or Linda. Do you have a platform where you can, where you offer your classes? Yeah. Funny you should ask about that. Um, So I work with a digital consultant and the class you took and then the other one on grid evolution and then the ones I'm starting to line up. One thing he's got me working on is for me to develop um, um, the calendar for all of 2021. And we put it on Big Marker, which is the platform that I use, and it accepts payments and then it keeps the recordings. And what we're going to do is every two months on a specific date, have a class. And you can either get that class, and I think what I charge, $199 or $195 or something like that. Um, yeah, I think it was $195. But I'll do some kind of subscription for the year and then make the information available for X amount of time. One thing I've heard from people, someone who took the storage class who talked to me later, a colleague, he's like, Pete, it's so dense what you dropped there on us in four hours. I've been back to it now three or four times. And so it's really good to have access to the recording because then I can go back in and go, okay, this is what he meant by that. Or, oh, good, here's the URL because all my slides have the URL so you can cut and paste and go find the original information. So my goal is this year is actually to create more of a catalog that's accessible to people where they can either subscribe or, you know, go into each class as they wish anytime, even after the initial impression. So recently we've developed quite a good following amongst students and I've been reaching out to universities and interviewing professors just asking, will you be offering any kind of student discount? Yeah. Um, I, yes, I will. And the, uh, the other thing I want to try this year, and I probably shouldn't even mention it yet because I haven't set it up, but I'm try- I, I think what I'm going to do is one given hour or two every month, have something on LinkedIn where it's sort of this pick my brain session. I was going to start with just me, but I've talked to some other professionals who said, oh yeah, I'd be in for that. So it's just a completely freebie type of a thing just for exchange of ideas and help more professionals in the space, especially students, right? And so, yeah, I'd be happy to offer some kind of a student discount because, look, part of our responsibility, we've been treated well by people along the way, and we're trying to build this clean energy economy. We need all the talent we can get. So to the extent that, you know, we can make that more accessible to people, yeah, I, 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 I hadn't been asked that, but yes, that's certainly something I would do. And the idea of a, like almost like an AMA and ask me anything, and although they might not be aware, I'm probably going to volunteer some of my team members who are you know really deep in specifically around the green technology. So I'm going to volunteer a couple of them for this AMA ses- session. Yeah, I think it'd be cool if we did it like once a month and each month we had it on a different topic and I could just sort of facilitate the conversation and then bring in SMEs. I think that could be something that has some legs. Absolutely. So you mentioned your book earlier can you speak to your book and when it's coming out and what it's about? Yeah, it's finally done. Um, or I should say mostly done. <laughs> um, I did all the copy editing last week. It was 85,000 words I had to cruise through. They only gave me a week to look at what the copy editor had edited and redlined and then go back and, and look at it and see what you know I needed to add or change. The book is called The Energy Switch. And it's about the people, the companies, and the technologies that are conspiring to create this better energy future. It's already up on Amazon uh, right now, amazon.com for pre-order, and it comes out on June June 15th of next year. And what I did was I essentially went around two different companies. In fact, I got an email this morning from 
somebody I'd worked with at GE saying he was looking back on his calendar for the year and said, you know, the last time I physically met was when you came in and met our team at Schenectady. Because I went to GE's headquarters out there where they do all the turbines and talked to them for a full day just about turbine technology and how it's changing in order to integrate more renewables into the grid. So the book is essentially all these different chapters on batteries, onshore wind, offshore wind, solar, um, electric vehicles, and so on and so forth, are following people's journeys and trying to therefore create this intellectual on-ramp that invites people into the conversation. Then once I've sort of locked them in the room and, it, and intrigued them, then I hit them with the technology or with the economics and some of the more facts and figures and stats. But with each chapter, I've tried to create this on-ramp that personalizes it. So one of the chapters, I got this guy who's a, a colleague and friend of mine, um, and he's out in California, and it was when the fires were raging. And so he just happened to casually mention an email, but I'm doing okay because I've got my power wall, my Tesla in the garage, and my solar on the roof. And I jumped at that because I needed a catalytic point for that chapter. And I said, hey, would you be interested in a Zoom call and take me for a tour so I got him on the screen and he, he's walking around with his laptop and there's this dreadful lemon sky outside. You can't smell the smoke because the fire is 200 miles away. But the soot, he rubs, he puts his finger across his panels and, you know, holds his hand up to the camera and there's soot on it. And then he walks into the garage and shows me the power wall and he says, you know, we're doing fine here. There's preemptive outages all up and down the valley, but we've got our little ecosystem. Anyone who can afford it is trying to do this. So each chapter, I'm trying to find people like that, that invite the reader in to understand it in a way that makes sense. So does the book have to be read from front to back, or can it, people pick out the sections that are, they're interested in? Generally, each chapter is meant to be relatively standalone. In fact, what I did, Raj, I, didn't, I wanted to make sure I didn't step in the cow patties, and I'm sure there's still some errors in there because I found an egregious one when I was copy editing. Um, but what I did was I went on LinkedIn and you know how generous this community of people is, right? So I basically said, okay, I've got all these chapters. Who wants the peer edit? This was a couple months ago before the copy edit session. So I had um, probably like a dozen or a dozen and a half people volunteer. And then I sent them the chapters and some of them just like tore the chapters to shreds, right? I get really <laughs> great feedback from a lot of different people across the space. And one of the criticisms that I got from someone said, this chapter feels like a standalone article in a magazine. And I thought, okay, good and bad. Good because that's what I meant it to be so that someone can just go in and read about electric vehicles or just look at offshore wind. But then my job was to try and create a totality around the whole thing so that if you read the whole book, there's some stuff where I referenced something in an earlier chapter. So there's some continuity, but at the same time, um, you still can just pick the pieces you want if that's all you're interested in. Like, for example, the chapter on how the grid works, it's a little bit drier than some of the other chapters. If you're not interested in transformers and that sort of thing and how voltage works, eh, maybe that's not for you, but you might love the chapter where they stress wind blades and explode them in a factory that's, you know, 90 meters long blades that they now have to saw off the end of the blade because the blades are too long for the factory. And explaining what's going on there, that might be more intriguing to somebody. So technicalities about the book, um, you said it's coming out in June, I believe, and it's already available on pre-order on Amazon. Are you going to have a Kindle and Audible version too? You know, we haven't yet. Um, that is, it's in the contract, but it hasn't yet been part of the conversation. I think what they want to do is the publisher's Prometheus Books. 
And the initial run is 5,000 copies hardcover. And then the question after that is, you know, does this thing take off? Um, that's going to be an interesting question. You know, you, you <laughs> a book is this child of your intellect, right? You put it out there and, and part of me tries to divorce my ego from the outcome. Another part of me is like, oh, if this thing just sort of lands with a thought, I'm going to be kind of bummed because I put a lot of time into it. But it's also landing in the middle of 2021 when the Biden administration is in power, uh, or I shouldn't say power, but sitting there, you know, in that space and probably we're going to see a lot of, of work to try and stimulate the green economy here and elsewhere. So the timing's really good. And you never can tell if something like that resonates with people or not. If it does, then there's more interest with the publisher to do foreign languages and also Kindle and that sort of thing. So I hope that will be the case. Right now, it's not yet in the plan. I hope it's the case too. I just know a lot of me, myself, and a lot of my peers are doing a lot of uh, reading on Kindle now just because of the benefit of the note-taking. The note card function in Kindle is just amazing. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I've, I've had other people on, on, on LinkedIn. There were a few people who said the same thing to me as, tell me when it's out in Kindle and I'll read it. Yeah, it, it's, just, it's just fantastic. And you can go back to it. Although I have a lot of books here on my shelves that are you know noted in, but from a device perspective, Kindle is just amazing. Yeah, point well taken. We appreciate it. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned 2025, and I think you mentioned the number of 1.3 trillion. Was that correct? Yes. Now, we're... Moving into 2021, again, I've mentioned this will be published the first week of 2021. What are some of the opportunities you see? And let's take it from two different angles. One from a careers, and you mentioned some of the some of the career opportunities already, but if you can double down on those, and also from a, perhaps a technology and maybe even a sector. Okay. So careers, I mean, everything from communications to engineers to HR to everything. I mean, this whole space, just to give you an example, let's look at offshore wind. There are 29,000 megawatts of state-level commitments, 9,000 from New York, 5,000 from Virginia, et cetera, enshrined in legislature in some cases, right, to build offshore wind. We don't have any of that infrastructure yet, do we? We don't have the ports. We only have one jack-up ship, those massive half a, million, half a billion dollar ships, I think. That's how much it cost me. At least it was at least $250 million that go out there, put their feet in the ground, lift themselves up off the ocean, and you know sit there in space and help you put the turbines together, right? That entire ecosystem where the first um, installations start going in in the next year and a half, two years, that all has to be built from scratch. So that is going to, they, they estimate that at roughly $70 billion industry right there, right? With the projects and, and the acreage that's already been leased out by the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. So that space has to grow a lot. Now let's completely look at something entirely different, FERC Order 2222, which basically says to the wholesale market operators, New York ISO, California, PJM, et cetera, thou shalt create an operating model that allows distributed energy resources to participate on par with wholesale generating assets, right? So now basically, what does that mean? Oh, and in that order, when Chairman Jatterjee was talking about it, he cited studies suggesting the size of that resource could range from 65 gigawatts, so 65,000 megawatts, to north of 380,000. That's a 387,000 estimate from Wood Mackenzie by 2025, right, of potential demand response and distributed energy resources that can interact with the grid and flex in response to grid conditions and prices. That is arguably one of the largest data plays in the history of humanity. 
right? Because all those assets, all those hundreds of thousands and millions of assets are going to have to interact with the grid. Ultimately, I'm finishing up a white paper for a client right now where I estimate the numbers to be in the roughly 5 billion transactional level by, you know, within the next decade and potentially more. If you think about an EV or a battery that's interacting with the grid every day, first of all, it's always on. So you're always talking to it, knowing what it's doing, monitoring. And then there's all these transactions. So data scientists, right? AI, big data, engineers, solar installers, solar energy information. Um, I'm sorry, SIA, Solar Energy uh, Industries Association indicates that they expect the number of panel of uh, solar projects to double between 2021 and 2023, right? From 2 million, I think they're adding, or uh, uh, yeah, I think it's doubling. So you're going to just see this enormous explosion of activity. Then look at EV charging. There's only a couple of cross-country networks right now for electric vehicle charging. And these things are going to be up to 350 kW each which is the size of a grocery store's instantaneous draw at peak demand. So, you know, we can, and then there's all the whole hydrogen economy, which we can talk about in a little bit, which is just starting to get some legs as well. And so right now you can kind of look and go, oh, we are remaking the entire energy industry globally. Again, some estimates are 30 to $50 trillion by 2050. My point being, almost any place that an electron touches humanity right now, there's significant room to make change. So if you're interested in this space, have a look and see what's out there. It's, it's, that change is happening across the entire ecosystem from the customer side of the meter to these massive platforms offshore. And then this huge hydrogen economy where you see this announcement uh, this morning that Germany um, just gave... I, uh, Thyssen Krupp, the big steel manufacturer, a grant to go and fi- figure out the piloting for a 30 megawatt electrolyzer to convert water into hydrogen at this futuristic city in Saudi, Saudi Arabia on the Red Sea. So the entire planet's going through this conversion and the next 10 years are going to be off the charts fascinating because that's where we essentially lay the groundwork from both policy and tech dev to get us to where this thing sort of unfolds and we see it in all its complexity, majesty, and and uh, and challenges. Well, you mentioned technologies a couple of times and hydrogen's come to, you know, come up. Can you expand on perhaps some of the technologies that you're really interested in? Yeah, so what I think is fascinating, we'll start with, um, let's go to batteries, then wind real quick, then solar, then jump into hydrogen. Okay, so batteries... The chemistries are getting better. I mean, the costs fall because of this thing called Wright's Law, where every time you double global cumulative output for manufacturing, prices fall by X. It's roughly in the 20% range for batteries, 25% for solar panels. So just the efficiencies get better for manufacturing, but then the chemistries get better. So Toyota just announced last week, ha, we're out here. We have a solid state battery. Next year, we are going to put that into a prototype and we'll commercialize it probably within the following year. Just three or four months ago, Toyota had announced a five-year goal for that. Meanwhile, um, Benz, you know, Mercedes-Benz said, oh, we have a solid-state battery. It's going in our eGuitaro buses right now with 25% battery, better density than we have today. Drives the cobalt out of the equation, you know, solves some of those issues as well, right? So batteries, better manufacturing, better chemistry. Solar panels, 
better manufacturing, everything. They are improving by about a half percent per year in conversion efficiency just because of things they're doing with the cells and the manufacturing. Then they're making the form factors bigger so that, you know, we see these 300 to 350 watt panels right now. Well, some of the companies like Longi and Jinko and a lot of the other ones out of China are now looking at 800 watt panels, bigger panels, which means balance of system gets cheaper because you're racking and all your other things, inverters, you don't need as many of them, right? So that ecosystem is going to get cheaper over time. Then you look at wind, the turbines are just getting bigger. And if we look at offshore wind, where I mentioned the 15 megawatt turbine from Siemens Gamesa, that's fixed to the ground, right? Now, what they're looking at next is floating wind. And we're already seeing these eight megawatt floating platforms floating around off of Europe. But, but with floating, you don't have the stresses of, of a fixed structure anymore. And so when I was talking, again, for the book with one of the engineers at the Wind Technology Testing Center, he said, Pete, we wouldn't even know how to big to build the testing facility because we think these turbines could be 20 or 25 megawatts or bigger because they don't have the same level of stresses to withstand. And so that space gets intriguing as well. Then you go, okay, bigger picture, how are we going to decarbonize outside of electricity? We can kind of see our way to at least 70% decarbonization with the assets we have, cycling gas plants a little bit more, bringing four hours of storage into the mix. But how do we get that last mile? Well, then the thinking is perhaps we take really cheap wind and solar electrolyzers, which are also subject to rights law. And those are reverse fuel cells that essentially separate water into hydrogen and oxygen and drive the cost of the electrolyzers down. They've been coming down fairly steadily, but they have to go down a lot more in order for hydrogen, green hydrogen to be cost effective with you know, brown hydrogen, which is just reformed from hydrocarbons. So a lot of, so you got to start with uh, you know, cheap electricity, renewables, then cheap electrolyzers, then the infrastructure to, to move it and store it. But people are focusing on that whole thing. Why hydrogen is so critical is that last 30% of storage in the power grid, you know, for the days when the wind doesn't blow for a couple of days and the sun doesn't shine, and you need that backup storage that four hours of batteries won't give you. But then the next question is, okay, what's the hardest nut to crack in the whole energy ecosystem and its industry and its application of thermal processes? So for example, the steel company SAB out of Sweden, they represent 10% of total emissions from the country of Sweden and 7% of Finland's emissions, one steel company. And they're under tremendous pressure around carbon because they see taxes on the horizon, et cetera. And the EU just announced they're going to get real serious about carbon. And the actually, the price of, of carbon just jumped in Europe last week because of some announcements out of the EU. So these guys at SAB, they're looking at using hydrogen. They've already tested it rolling steel to see if it could be applied to steel as evenly as natural gas can when you roll it out. Then Thyssen Krupp, the company I mentioned before, they've already used hydrogen, one of the Tuyeres, uh, the injection ports in their blast furnaces. And so, and then there are some companies over there, there are um, a number of gas distribution companies that have said, we're going to reformulate or rejigger um, 25,000 kilometers, so roughly 18,000 miles of gas pipelines, 75% existing gas, 25% new to hydrogen. Now, there's some challenges because hydrogen embrittles high pipelines and hydrogen's a simple molecule, so it likes to escape because H2 can go anywhere and CH4 can't. 
But the EU also said this week, we're not doing any more subsidies for gas pipelines. If you want subsidies for pipelines, it has to be hydrogen. So, and then Japan has made a big portion and Korea has as well. So you're starting to see these massive multi-billion dollar articulated projects for hydrogen. Fortescue, which is the third largest iron mining company in the world, their chairman, um, Andrew Forrest, I think his name, he basically said that company is looking at 235 gigawatts out of Australia of wind and solar and hydrogen projects. Now, these are all sort of pie in the sky formulations, but we're starting to see the first huge hydrocarbon and mining companies and others say, oh, we know the end game is visible already for oil and gas. A lot of that's going to be left in the ground. But what are we good at? We're really good at huge infrastructure projects, steel in the ground, massive platforms, pipelines, all that. So let's take what we know and convert that over to that little hydrogen molecule. And that will help us decarbonize industry and the rest of transport and Air- Airbus for example, is working on a hydrogen plane because we know we have to decarbonize flight as well. So all these things look to 2021 to see the drumbeat get louder and louder and louder around the emerging H2 economy. Well, we'll be listening for the drumbeat for sure, Peter, and your enthusiasm. I mean, the excitement you bring to the conversation. I so enjoy always speaking with you. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Yeah. um, I would say that this last year was a year that was full of sadness and deprivation. And it was also a year of tremendous hope because if you'd asked me 10 years ago as an energy professional in space and someone who's been obsessed with carbon since you know the late 80s, back then it was all about, well, what are we going to have to do without? And now for the first time, I think this year, it becomes visible to me that we actually... M- have a stand a very good chance of pulling off a sustainable economy where we can create more abundance and more wealth. It's like what the the CEO of Green Mountain Power, former CEO Mary Mary Powell, she constantly says you have to do this with love and you have to do it out of a sense of abundance. And this is the year I sort of moved into that mindset in my head and in my heart um, and begin to really believe in my marrow that yeah we actually can pull off this, the greatest transformation humanity has ever collectively tried to accomplish. I love the idea of abundance and love. And for those, don't forget, looking for opportunities everywhere. Like you said, Peter, an electron touches humanity. That's where the opportunities are. Thank you again for your time today. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. That's always my pleasure. Thank you, Raj. Thank you, Peter. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, the Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com, under the Original Content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website nexuspmg.com and while you're there you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech green tech sectors bigger than us is a nexus pmg production